Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamla D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible. Yes, we read entire books here, not just one scripture of the Bible, full chapters. And of course, I share commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every word. Hey, since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's grow in faith, walk in God's grace by learning Bible truth. Good day, Bible truth learners. Merry Christmas. I hope today finds you and your family well. Today is the final episode of Tithing Under Grace by Pastor Frederick K. Price Jr. This is episode three. So I want you to take notes, follow him in scripture, invite family and friends, listen with an open mind and an open heart to receive the truth. So you ready? And this lesson was titled Tithing Under Grace because tithing is not only the subject matter of the lesson, but it's, it's a major subject matter in the body of Christ. And so uh, I've been dealing with some things that may have been new to your ears. And I want to do just a quick review. Hopefully it takes no longer than five minutes and then we can move on to this new material. But remember now, while tithing did not originate under the law, it eventually came under the law. It was present before, but it came under the law. And when it came under the law, it became an obligation and a requirement. It became a payment. It became a debt. It was not that before. But once the law adopted it, then it was. So it became something owed. We found as we traversed through the law, remember the law is the Levitical priesthood to the death of Jesus. That's the law, the Levitical priesthood to the death of Jesus. Now as we've traversed through the scriptures, specifically in this region, we found out that there were three tithes. Three. Number one was a Levitical tithe, a tenth that went to the Levites specifically because they did not have the inheritance of the other tribes. Once the Levites received the tithes from the people, then they were to take a tenth of those tithes and offer that to the Lord. That's the Levitical tithe. But then we found another tithe in Deuteronomy where the tithe was eaten. It wasn't given to the Levites, it was eaten. So what's that about? Well, that's the festival tithe. In other words, God told the children of Israel a specific place to go and take your tithe, your, your, your tenth of the grain, your tenth of the wine press, your tenth of the flocks. Take this to the place I tell you, said the Lord. If the journey is too long, if it's too difficult to carry the tithe, then you can exchange it for money. But once you arrive at the destination, then buy the flock or the meat or the wine or whatever, and then eat it at the place that I tell you. All right, that was done once a year. That's the festival tithe. Then we saw another tithe that was given or paid <clears throat> every three years. And that was the poor tithe. That was the tithe to help those in need. So the stranger, the orphan, the widow, okay, and then the Levites were included in that as well. That was every three years. And that third year tithe was actually called the year of tithing because that was the year all three tithes were paid. The two years before that, it was just the Levitical and the festival. But every three years, the year of tithing, then the poor tithe would be paid as well. So if you divvied up, you know, that third year tithe amongst the three years, then you'd get 3.3%. So tithing under the law was about 23.3% of the income or produce of the children of Israel. Now Malachi falls under where? 
the law. Now, we, we went through Malachi because traditionally that's been the foundational scripture for New Testament tithing. But we have to look at the location. We have to look at where it's found. And then we also have to look at who the Lord was talking to. Now, in Malachi chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And to the priests, this commandment is for you. Which priests were he talking about? The Levitical priests. Remember, King Hezekiah gave the priests, the Levites, the responsibility to make sure the tithes made it into the storehouse or the storeroom. And the storeroom was a room in the palace or within the city gates where things were stored. So when he says bring all the tithes to the storehouse, and we know he's not talking about the festival tithe because you ate that one. So he was talking about that Levitical tithe and the poor tithe. Bring those tithes to the storehouse. He was telling the Levites to do that. All right? He was not talking to the church. He was not talking to you or I. So when he says, will a man rob God, who's he talking to? The Levites. All right? Watch this. When he says, return to me, who's he talking to? Talking to the Levites. All right? When he says, uh, will a man weary God? He's talking to the Levites. And they respond with questions of their own. And there's a pattern. How have we wearied you? How shall we return to you? How have we robbed you? How have we spoken against you? He's talking to a specific group. He's talking to those Levites. Then we looked in the gospel. And we saw Jesus even dealing with the Pharisees who stuck to the law. They made sure that they did everything. They made sure that Jesus knew they tithe. And Jesus said, well, it's good that you did, but you neglected the heavier issues, the weightier matters of the law. And do you know what a weightier issue is? A heavier issue is anything that deals with morality, God's moral law. That's us being holy. In other words, walking in the spirit or walking according to his commandments regarding our behavior and our conduct, not the ceremonial stuff, all right, not the sacrificial stuff. So that's what Jesus was saying when he said, you neglected the weightier, the bigger issues, the bigger matters within the law. We understood that the windows of heaven had to do with the rain. The first time they were brought up was in the days of Noah. The windows of heaven opened, the water came down. What was God talking about to the Levites? He said, there's a famine in the land. All right, your crops are dying. You need water. But you've been robbing me. All right, but bring the tithes to the storehouse and I'll open up those windows of heaven so that rain can come falling down on your crops and there can be a harvest. That's why he said in verse 11 of chapter 3, and I will not allow the devourer, or I rebuke the devourer, and I will not allow him to destroy the fruit of your ground. All right, he's talking about crops. All throughout the law, Tithes were never money. Never. Grain, fruit, oil, corn, sheep, but not money. How did the tithe become money? Because the Bible never shows that it is. So that's where we ended with tithing under the law, and now we want to look at it before the law. The Bible doesn't have much to say about it before the law. However, in the examples that we see, it is very important to note some things. I told you to go to Genesis 14, right? Also, don't forget that Israel was a theocracy. They were a nation solely governed by God, and the Levites functioned as that government. Therefore, tithes were also taxes. All right. Now, Genesis 14. Verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now when you're just reading the Bible, Melchizedek comes out of nowhere. He just shows up. Meaning king of righteousness and king of peace. Sounds like the son of God. But the Bible's clear Melchizedek was not the son of God. But nevertheless, he shows up, brings out bread and wine, according to verse 18. He was the priest of God most high. Meaning what? He was the priest of El Elyon, God Most High. And he, Melchizedek, blessed 
Abram and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, God being the possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram does what? He gave him a tithe of all. Now where did this tithe come from? Here's where it came from. Look at verse 16. So he what? Brought back all the goods. What are the goods? Spoils. Exactly. If you read Hebrews 7, it tells you that he gave a tithe from the spoils. The spoils of war. Now, what are the spoils of war? Well, here in the Old Testament, it uses the word goods. Here's what goods means. Riches, substance, possession, property, and goods. Riches, substance, and property. Now, whenever there's a battle, or whenever there would be a battle, all right, the winners, whoever was left standing in the field, could gather the spoils of war. Right, if I slay my enemy, I can take what's on his person. I can take what's on his body. If you got a sword, it's a nice sword. I want it. I like that shield too. I like those knives. That's a nice chain around his neck. I want that too. I want those rings and I want that bracelet. Oh, all the soldiers have them? Take them all. That's the spoils of war. And guess what? The king and the captains encouraged the soldiers to gather the spoils from your victory. Why? Because these are infantrymen. They were barely paid anyway. All right? Now, they had decent living because they were part of the military, but it wasn't that great. So the king would say, okay, here's a meager wage, but guess what? Whatever you find in battle, once you've won, you can take it. That's what it means to gather the goods or spoils of war. Now, here's what we want to notice. When Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe, there was no commandment to do so. Since there was no commandment to do so, there were no repercussions for not doing it. Abram did not tithe because the Lord said, will a man rob God? He freely did it. And watch this. He didn't pay Melchizedek. He gave Melchizedek a tenth of the spoils. Now here's, here's what's unique about this situation. Number one, we only have one scriptural account of Abram tithing out of his 175 years of life. Now, it doesn't mean that he didn't tithe more than once. We don't know. We don't have a historical record of all 175 years of his life. But for whatever reason, the Bible only gives us this one account. I believe from this account, we are to notice that there was no commandment, there was no curse, there was no fear of being a robber, and Abram did what? Gave and not paid. The other thing we want to observe is... That Abram did not tithe out of his normal salary. Genesis 13 verse 1 says what? Then Abram. And verse 2 says that what? Abram was very rich in livestock or cattle. Silver. He already had livestock. He already had silver. He already had cattle. We have no record of him tithing from that. However, once he gains these spoils, this would be like a bonus check from work. This would be like someone who gave you additional income that you did not get from your regular job. For whatever reason, the Bible doesn't show us Abram tithing out of his already possessed silver and gold, but he does tithe from these additional spoils. See, when we read scripture, we want to observe what's going on. Once again, I'm not here to say that he never tithed again. He could have tithed every day after that. We don't know, but the Bible only records this one situation where he tithes from the spoils of war. He didn't pay it. He gave it, not under fear of obligation, curse, or robbery, 
but out of his own free will. Now, there in some extra biblical and, 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 and Jewish writings, it's believed that Melchizedek could have been Shem. Mm -hmm. I, I don't wholly subscribe to that because I don't know if it's, if it's true or not. I'm not sure. But if it, if it is true, then it would somewhat make sense that Abram would do what? That he would give a tithe to the patriarch of his family. If he was Shem. But I'm, I'm not sure that the Bible doesn't say. But it is a theory. Now, the only other account that we have of, of a tithe or a tenth would be here in Genesis 28. And you have to see this with your own eyes, saints. It is something. I want you to go to Genesis 28 and find, let's see, find, start with verse 18. Our Genesis 28, 18. Now, before we read this, I want you to get an idea of how law and grace works. I've shared this with you before, but it doesn't hurt to be reminded. Our Apostle Peter said that as long as I'm in this tent, I will stir you up by what? Reminding you. Law is about me doing something so God can then do something for me. Law is about me doing something for you or for, for someone so that God can do something for me. Whereas grace is about what God has already done for you, therefore you do for others. Alright, so forgiveness is one of the best examples we can use. Under the law, I better or must forgive you so that God can forgive me. But under grace, God has already forgiven me, therefore I forgive you. Right, that's grace. Alright? So watch this. Giving is the same way. Under law, I give so that I can get. Whereas under grace, watch this. Even though the Bible tells us whatever we sow, that's what we'll reap. We as believers, we're not doing it for the reaping, although it is an added bonus. Okay? But God has already blessed us under the New Testament. Therefore, I am blessed. That's why we, that's why we say that. That's why we word it that way. I am blessed to be a blessing. Alright? See, that's grace. Now watch this. Jacob, the grandson of Abram, gives us a glimpse of grace giving before the law even shows up. Look at this in Genesis 28-12. I mean 18. Genesis 28-18. Are you there? Then Jacob rose early in the morning. He took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. Then he called the name of that place, what? Bethel, Bethel or Beth-el. El, a Semitic word for God. Beth meaning house of. So Bethel is house of God. But the name of that city had been loosed previously. Then Jacob made a vow. What's a vow, ladies and gentlemen? You give your word. Watch this. There's a good chance that at the second you make the vow, you're not doing what you said in the vow. You will do future tense what you said in the vow. Watch this. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. Now notice this vow starts off with what God. No, not just if, but what, what God will do. In other words, if God will do this. See, tithing under Malachi is not about what, what God will do. It's about me bringing something to God so that then he can bestow something upon me. But watch this in verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, if God will keep me in this way that I am going, if God will give me bread to eat, if God will give me clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Notice, Jacob said, if God does, then surely I will give a tenth. Watch this, not pay it. I will give it. See, the thing about the New Testament is that it is already finished. It, it is done. 
So under the New Testament, we're not, watch this now, we, we get the blessings mixed up with the blessing. So under the New Testament, we're not looking for blessings. You're already blessed. The blessing is on you already. So God has blessed you. Now as a result of the blessing being on you, blessings will find you. See, God's already done his work. God, since you've blessed me, I will freely give. Do you see that? All right. One last thing regarding this, this tithe before the law. Remember, no requirement, no obligation, no, no law, no commandment, no penalty, no fear of curse or God robbery. What, what did Abram do? He, he, he freely gave it. What did Jacob say he would do? Freely give it. God, as a result of what you have done or what you will do. But see, the way I look at scripture, I don't know, everybody doesn't look at it the way I do, so sometimes I'm alone, I'm in a box by myself. So the things that I notice with this Genesis 14 account is, number one, Melchizedek, bro, where'd you come from? Dude, who are you? Where did you come from? You just showed up. As a matter of fact, Abram had just taken his 318 trained servants to go and retrieve Lot from the Valley of the Kings. Abram and 318 went into the Valley of the Kings, killed everybody, killed the armies, killed the kings, left them as a waste and a heap, then gathered the spoils. And after the gathering, here comes this Melchizedek guy. And the way it's worded in scripture, it's like Abram's not surprised to see him. It's like, oh, dude, there you are. Here's a tithe. <laughs> now, my question would then be, where did he get the tithe from? Where did he learn this concept of giving a tenth? Here's our best guess. We can't go biblical. We have to go. Well, we can, we can partially go biblical, but mostly historical. It has to do with where Abram came from. He came from a place known as Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur was a place in Chaldea. Chaldea was a part of the Mesopotamian state. Mesopotamian state included Assyria, it included Babylon, it included the Akkadians, it included the Chaldeans, it included a multitude of people groups, all a part of the Mesopotamian state. This is before Abram was called out of Chaldea by God to eventually establish Israel. He was part of the Mesopotamian state. The Mesopotamian state was fathered by Nimrod. It's, an, it's, it's interesting how today a person will refer to another person as an idiot, a dummy, stupid, or a Nimrod. Nimrod wasn't a dummy. Nimrod was a genius. Nimrod trained dogs for hunting and taught men how to ride horses. He was a master hunter. He was a master archer. And he realized he had a following, so he said, oh, let's start a kingdom. Began a kingdom and said, oh, let's build a tower. And since we all speak the same language and we understand each other, let's see how far this tower can go. He gets God's attention and God says, hey, if they keep at it, they're going to pull it off. God goes down, he confuses the language so they don't understand one another's speech. Now it's going to be difficult to build this tower. But mind you, Nimrod had already begun the nation of Babel. The Bible says the beginning of his kingdom was Erech, Kalna, Akkad. So he had begun, he began the Mesopotamian state. Well, guess who came out of that Mesopotamian state? Abram. Guess what the Mesopotamian state was already practicing? Something called the M-A-S-R-E-T-U, Masretu. You know what that was? A Babylonian Mesopotamian 10% tax. That's why he was already familiar with giving a tenth to a priest because in Mesopotamia, they gave tenths to priests, they gave tenths to the government, they gave tenths to their pagan gods. It was already a practice he was familiar with. So seeing a high priest come out of nowhere, whether he recognized him as Shem or some high priest of God, El Elyon, he knew from his cultural background 
to give a tenth to a priest. That's where that came from. Then it was adopted into the law. But ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, we're under grace. Now, head over to Hebrews 7. I hope you are gathering, that you are garnering something from this. Yeah. Hebrews 7. How about we look at verse 1. Now, Hebrews is written to which audience? You need to understand that Hebrews is not written to Gentiles. See, if you're not Israel, you're a Gentile. So Hebrews is written to a specific audience. It's written to, watch this, Jews who are under the law that had received Messiah. No longer under the law now because they've received Messiah, but guess what? They began to go back to the ways of the law. So the writer of Hebrews is writing to them to remind them of the imperfections of the law and the perfection of Christ, how he's fulfilled it all. So some of these scriptures, they don't apply to us. Some of them can be universal in principle, but some things, he's he not, he not talking to Fred. Right. He's not talking to this Gentile believer. That's right. Okay? Watch it. He, Hebrews 7 now. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. King of Salem. All right? Salem is thought to be the ancient name of Jerusalem. All right, and we know Salem means peace. So watch this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, <clears throat> who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings. Abraham slaughtered all the kings. And then he blessed him. It says, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, being translated first king of righteousness and then also king of Salem, meaning what? King of peace. Now watch this. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Who is this verse talking about? It's talking about Melchizedek. It's saying that Melchizedek doesn't have a father, doesn't have a mother, doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end. But watch this, present tense, remains a priest continually. It's talking about Melchizedek. Made like the Son of God, not is the Son of God. Made like the Son of God. Now why does Hebrews word it this way? We have two theories. Theory number one is that he was the high priest of heaven. And the reason why he just showed up is because God just sent him. <laughs> the other reason is because we have no genealogical record of Melchizedek. We don't have his record written down. See, we have the record of Abram. We have the record of Noah. We have the record of Seth. We have the record of Cain. We have the record of Abel. We don't have the record of Melchizedek. There's nowhere in the Bible we can go to and look at his beginning. So since we don't have his record, we don't have his birth certificate, then he has no mother, he has no father, he has no beginning. And guess what? After Melchizedek blessed Abram, he disappeared, so we don't know when he died. Therefore, we don't have a death certificate. We have no record of his death. So if we have no record of his beginning and we have no record of his death, then it's as if he has no mother, no father, no end of days or beginning of days, right? And then the scripture says he is made like the Son of God, and he remains a priest continually. The reason why it says he remains a priest continually is that we don't know when or if he died. That's the, his, that's the historical explanation. The spiritual explanation is that dude was the high priest of heaven and he was like Christ. You know, we can, we can go deep there if we want to, but that's the historical reasoning as to why he has no beginning or end. Now verse 4 says, Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave what? A tenth of the spoils. Past tense. Now, verse 5 says, Indeed, those who are the sons of Levi received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come through the loins of Abraham. Interestingly, verse 5 uses a present tense wording. Verse 6, But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. A, a past tense in this verse. Then verse 7 says, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Verse 8 says, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. The tense is present again. Now, uh, 
it's believed that this mortal man refers to earth and, and there refers to heaven. But see, the subject matter is Melchizedek still. Still talking about Melchizedek. So while the tenses actually, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. I'm going to just be straight up honest. I don't understand why the writer of Hebrews is saying that the Levites presently receive tithes when the Levitical priesthood had been done away with. I don't know why, but here's what we do know. The Levitical priesthood had been done away with. Amen. So everything this writer is talking about is what happened then. Yes. It's what happened before the law, and it's what happened under the law. We are the priests yes. now. But when the writer of Hebrews, who we don't know, wrote Hebrews, it was under the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Under the realm or period of grace. And under grace, the obligation has been lifted. The requirement has been removed. So has the curse. Now, I probably won't get many fans for what I'm about to say. Listen, if from this day forward, you never paid another tithe in your life, you would not be cursed. Neither would you be a God robber. That's right. Expose you would not be. Teachers, expose you wouldn't talk to you in the first place. Hallelujah. Talking to the Levites. Talking to the Levites. Then ask yourself this question. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says, Christ has done something. He has redeemed me from something. The curse of the law. There is the curse. I used to be there. I'm over here now. Redeemed from the curse of the law. And then it says what? Having become a curse for us. He became a curse for us. Took the curse upon himself. When Christ was crucified, the curse was crucified, but only Christ got up. Amen. Hallelujah. Then it says that that happened so the blessing of Abraham would be poured out on the Gentiles. Amen. The moment you're born again, you're blessed. Now, can you look me in the eye and tell me you believe that as a blessed Gentile under grace because Christ is Lord, that God would have put a curse on that blessing. No, absolutely not. Because you didn't bring a tithe to a storehouse when this place isn't a storehouse in the first place? Hallelujah. Tell the truth, Pastor. Shame the devil. Shame the devil. It's not. Once again, let's look in the New Testament. Go to Acts chapter 4. Why is it? Saints, that if tithing was of such importance to God for Christians, wouldn't our famous apostles have done so? Why is it that as I journey through 28 chapters of Acts, I find less than nothing about tithes? Why is it that Paul in his letters never utters the word? How come our apostle Peter didn't say anything? How come our apostle John didn't say anything? I mean, you would think that if the tithe was the covenant connector, as many have preached, you know, the covenant connector is the band Jesus. You're in Christ, you're already connected. If it was of such utter importance, how come the apostles of the Lamb don't say anything about it? And they had ample time to say something about it. Acts 4. Let's look at New Testament giving. Shall we? Acts 4. Are you there? 32. Now the multitudes of those who believe were of what? One heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say what? Oh. Watch this, that any of the things he possessed was his own. Did you catch that? Yeah. You own stuff, but you're saying it's not yours. Why? It says, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and they brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as everyone had need. See, it is so unfortunate. Well, let me keep reading. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, 
which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, he sold it, bought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. What was the purpose of all of them doing this? Because they wanted none to suffer lack. Absolutely. See, the Absolutely. New Testament believes this. The problem is New Testament followers don't. The New Testament believes that none should suffer lack. And I will show you in just a second that all New Testament giving was specifically for the needy. Absolutely. And most churches in the Western world. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't give to the poor like we're trying to get rid of poverty. We don't. You know where that spirit came from. <laughs> Constantine is still our daddy. It's so sad. You know the guy who founded the, you know that large church and expose them. Go ahead. You know, city that has their own bank and police. Expose all the false teachers and false religion and false city that has a secret vault, secret archives where there's documents that I don't want everybody else to know about. You know that place. Ah, but I'm just a conspiracy theorist, so nobody will believe me anyway, right? Okay. So, so that all could have. How about 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4? Ah, oh, Pastor, don't go there. I'm about to get you. Don't read it. 1 Corinthians 16, 1. Guess what it says? Oh, you got to pay attention. You got to pay attention to the word here. Watch this, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. There it is, Sunday. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. For the needy saints. See, there it is, Pastor, you know, your tithes and your, and your offerings. You're supposed to, you know, give them on the first day of the week. Well, well, we missed a few things here. Number one, it didn't say the collection of the saints. It said the collection for, for the saints. Teach that word. Teach that word. He didn't say concerning the collection of the saints. He said concerning the collection for the saints. What was Paul talking about? He said there are some saints that need some collections. Oh, let's continue to read. Uh, verse 3, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. Oh, let's keep reading. Head over now to uh, uh, Romans 15. Yeah, we still have time. i got to give you all of this. Romans 15. Look at verse 22. For this reason... I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer have a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years, I come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. There it is. It's pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of the spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way out of you to Spain, collecting for the needy saints. It sounds a lot like that poor tithe. As a matter of fact, under the law, God rebuked the Levites and said, I will come against those who oppress the needy, who oppress the poor and the wage earners. Hallelujah. Because that third year tithe was specifically for the poor, specifically for the stranger, specifically for the widows, specifically for the orphans. How much giving does the church corporately, especially in the Western world, how, how much do we give to widows? How much do we give to orphans? How much do we give to strangers? Strangers mean foreigners. 
That's right. We don't turn them away. We I mean, it took an apostle to stand on stage years ago to tell us to give to missions. We got to be provoked and, 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 and coddled and massaged and just to give to those who are in need. Yes. Mm. My Lord. My Lord. Keep reading? Okay. Look at Acts 11, 27. Acts 11, 27, when you have it, say I have it. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus, he stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great what? Famine. famine. What does famine mean? Hunger, loss, starvation, lack. And he said throughout all the world, meaning all the known world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, they determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul, giving to the needy, the poor saints. That's what all the collecting was about in Acts. Okay, so let's, let's not talk about how we want to see the Acts church today. See, see, when we say that, here's what we're saying. We want to see the signs. We want to see the, the, the prophecies. We want to see the miracles and the gifts of healing. Okay, but do you also want to see the poor taken care of? You want to see that too? If you want the Acts church. 24-17. One verse. Acts 24-17. What does it say? Now, after many years, I came to what? Bring alms. Alms? And offerings to my nation. You would, have, you would think he would have said something about tithes. No. He mentions alms. What are alms? Gifts. There you go. Alms is mercy, pity, Benefaction and compassion to the poor specifically. That's alms. Offerings simply means a gift. Okay? Watch this. Galatians 2.10. We got three more scriptures to read. Some of the, I won't read the whole context, but, but you can read the whole context on your own and you'll see exactly what's being said. But here, just look at this 10th verse in Galatians 2. This is after Peter gives Paul and uh, Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. And then here in Galatians 2.10, it says they desired, who? The apostle Peter. It says they desired what? Only that we should remember the poor. The very thing which I also was what? Eager to do. Oh, goodness. We haven't forgotten the poor, have we? Second Corinthians. Yes, the church has. Eight. Now, on your own, you need to read the entire chapter. That's right. Of Second Corinthians eight and Second Corinthians nine. You need to read both chapters so you can get the full context, but I want to highlight a few scriptures. Verse 1, for example, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. What did it abound in? The riches of their freedom. Wow. They had deep poverty, but rich freedom. See, you have people that have deep prosperity but rich imprisonment. Amen. Yes. Amen. 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 Oh, yeah. So I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their, their ability. Wow. According and beyond their ability, what? They were freely willing. Imploring us 
with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. You mean to tell me this poor church, rich in freedom, implore Paul to receive their gift? That we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. All right, now let's drop down to, uh, let's go to verse uh, 18. Look at verse 18. It says, and we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Talking about sent with Titus. And not only that, but who also was chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift and is administered to us or by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show you a ready mind, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift. So Paul's talking about the gift that he sent by way of Titus and he said that that gift was lavish. We know that word lavish, don't we? What does it mean? It means bountiful. It means ripe, abundance, and full. Hallelujah. Watch this. Which is administered by us. The lavish gift is administered by us. Paul says we, we, the church, we, we, these apostles and ministry gifts in the Lord's church, this lavish gift is administered to that poor church by us. All right. Providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. All right. Let's just drop down to chapter nine and look at, let's look at verse five. This is for just for the sake of time, but on your own, read all of chapter eight and read all of chapter nine so you get the full context and understanding. But look at verse five. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. What does this word gift mean here? It doesn't mean the same thing that we read in chapter eight. That word in chapter eight, lavish gift, that's a different Greek word than generous gift. You know what this word gift means? It's the same Greek word for blessing. Eulogia. That's where we get the word eulogy from. Blessing. The blessing that came upon us as a result of Christ's completed work, the blessing that was poured out on the Gentiles, Greek word, eulogia. Now watch this. Generous gift, Greek word, eulogia. Beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Did you catch that? Generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Do you know what this word generosity means in the Greek? Eulogia. Okay? Look at verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap what? Sparingly. Do you know what sparingly means? It means... It means that's ab... Thank you. You guys are some wordsmiths. It means abstemiously, but it also means stingily. Stingily. He who sows stingily, he who's stingy about his sowing, well, God says the reaping process will be stingy to you. Watch this. He who sows bountifully. Do you know what this Greek word for bountifully is? <laughs> Eulogia. Isn't that interesting? Gift, generosity, bountifully, and blessing. Same word. He who sows bountifully will do what? Reap bountifully. So that each one give as he purposes in his heart. That's as you purpose. You bring forward. You bring forth. As you purpose in your heart. Not grudgingly. I'm going to tell you right now, you, 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 all these years, you, you, you think, you, you, you want to, you want to, because see, it's easy to say that you, that you paid your tithe out of a motive of love knowing that you had bills to pay. That's right. Your bills come first. That's right. And, 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 and part of your heart was right in that you said, no, I'm just going to trust God. But you, you, you weren't fully cheerful about it because the phone's been ringing. Right? But then you have, then you have a plethora of those who consider themselves tithers, which, by the way, that word's not in the Bible. Nowhere Did you know that? In the Bible. Nowhere. Tither's not in the Bible, but giver and sower is. That's right. Now, 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 you know, um, Years of, of faithfully paying tithes and faithfully neglecting bills. Mm. Right? Right, so, so I just try to imagine somebody on the phone saying, I can't pay today, I got a tithe. <laughs> By 
by the way, I'm a Christian. And I just, I just want you to know I'm saved. I can't keep my commitment to you today. Okay. Here's why. Whether you realize it or not, there is an obligation on you. I wonder if there are people still in debt because they were faithfully tithing and, and, and you can only be knowing parts so you only were working with the parts you knew. But I just wonder if there's some debt that could have been lifted a long time ago and then you would have been more free to give bountifully. I, I just wonder. I just wonder. He says, not grudgingly. What does this word grudgingly mean? I'm going to run over a little because I just got one scripture. Grudgingly. It means sadness, heaviness, and sorrowful. Pain and grief. Right? It was painful not to do thus and so, but you brought your tithe anyway. Why? Really out of fear of a curse. See, the curse has been here since Adam disobeyed. Now watch this. It's a general curse. It just affects certain areas of your life in a specific way. To get out of the curse, you just have to enter into Christ so the blessing's on you. Now, you can still experience the consequences of the curse if you don't go along with the word. But you're not cursed. You have been blessed since the day you were saved. Okay. The word necessity means do not give out of distress. Don't give out of great need. You ever heard our, 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 our Christianese colloquialisms and stuff? Right? Right? Got a need, sow a seed. Sounds good, doesn't it? No, that's it. Uh -uh. Don't you give out of distress. Don't, don't, don't you give out of great need. You give cheerfully. Happy and hilarious. And once you do that, see, that's the thing. We've been given the wrong way, and we haven't experienced the full manifestation of the blessing. Not completely. Not completely. Now, last scripture. See, I, I, didn't, I didn't get a chance to share with you uh, the gentleman from the third century who, who basically said, the clergy, we're like Levites, so the people need to pay us. How many minutes can I go over? Just tell me what we can work with. All right, he's going to let me know. Because I just, I, I don't need another hour to share these last few things. So, so just, 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 just work with me. Okay. All right. That's all I need. That's all I need. Okay. All right. Watch this now. Come on, come on, come on. Come on. I, 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 have a, I have a chance to share this, this bit of information with you, so I want to I do that. I believe I'll be able to. All right, now watch this. Let me tell you exactly who it was. A gentleman by the name of, here we go, Cyprian of Carthage. Third century. Christian writer, he mentioned the practice of financially supporting the clergy. He argued that just as the Levites were supported by the tithe, the Christian clergy should be supported by the tithe. And so this thinking has been here since says. the third century. Now, the early church fathers before that, they didn't write anything about this. Come on now. But see, the third century is when the Catholic Church showed up. That's right. That's right. So the Catholic Church said, you support me. I'm the Pope. I'm the bishop. I'm the Archbishop, I'm the Cardinal, and you're the you. So, support me so God can bless you while you're poor the rest of your life. But I don't know when your blessing's coming up. I mean, I mean, Cardinals and, 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 and bishops in the early church, I mean, it may still happen today. I mean, these guys had palatial villas. And the poor were right outside. And so from that, then tithes got somehow caught up in, in government, and then government would require a tithe, and it was about the tithe of the land, and the tithe, all this 
Lost stuff showed back up under grace. How'd that happen when Christ did away with it all? He fulfilled it. The only law we're required to follow now is God's moral law. Because the moral law was here. It was here before anything else was. God's morality has been here with him since before the beginning. If you want to experience financial blessings in your life, all you do is follow God's simple formula. As long as, not the church, but the earth remains, seed, time, harvest. It's a real simple process. Paul said, whatever a man sows, that he will reap. Sowing and reaping. It's simple. Sow stingily, reap stingily. Sow bountifully, reap bountifully. And don't just get caught up in amount. Get caught up in heart. In heart. Because you may not be a hundred thousand here, but you give what you have bountifully. You give bountifully from what you have. You could be a millionaire and give stingily. Okay. Now, last scripture Colossians 2. Colossians 2 11. All right, so when it's time to give, it's, it's giving time. That's, that's all it is. It's giving time. It's giving time. It's giving time. Giving is sowing. It's giving time. It's sowing time. It's reaping time. Colossians 2 11, and we'll close it here. Oh, stop. Time, stop. Listen now, listen, listen, listen. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the requirements. Mm -hmm. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you. What are these requirements? These requirements, oh, you got to get this Greek word. The Greek word is dogma. He wiped out the dogma. You know what the dogma is? Law. Civil, ceremonial, or ecclesiastical. He wiped out the ordinances. Watch this. He wiped out the Roman public decrees. He wiped out the rules and requirements of the law of Moses. That carried a suggestion of severity and it threatened judgment. Those requirements he's wiped out. How did he do it? And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Oh, you got to catch this. It said that he's wiped out the handwriting of requirements that were against you, but he kept the handwriting of requirements that are for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, walking in the spirit and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, that's for you. That's for your benefit. But the handwriting of requirements that were against you, they were on the cross too. With sin and with curse, with sickness and death, all of it was crucified. And its authority is still on that cross. Jesus isn't. Having disarmed principalities, powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, he says, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or new moons or Sabbaths. That's right. That's right. Anything else? Law related. They're a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of, of Christ. Christ. Yes, Lord. The dogma has been removed. The decrees, both Mosaic and Catholic. 
He wiped out the handwriting of mosaic requirements that were before and the Catholic requirements that would come. Because it's those Catholic requirements that trickled down throughout all the years and then the Protestants said something's not right about this and so they protested. But even in their protesting, they still kept a little bit and then as different moves and denominations and orientations evolved, they adopted little pieces here and there. That's how the stuff trickled down all the way from Cyprian of Carthage to the church today. But it's never too late to be made free. Hallelujah. I'm done now. So if this message has... There you have it, saints. Tithing under grace. That's the end of this three-part series. So we know, first and foremost, tithing was never money. And... I think this is the most important. Tithing is not under grace. And if you want to give, you give. And your church should be collecting money for the poor people in the church. If you are constantly giving in the collection plate, you need to know where that money is going. Now, I am not going to say that your pastor is a false teacher. If he is telling you that you have to tithe out of your paycheck and that it is a commandment from God, that's not true. It's simply not true. However, he may not know. That may be the issue because we know in part, if he doesn't know about tithing, he shouldn't be teaching it. And he definitely should not be telling you that you have an obligation to do it. Tithing was never money. So who changed it? Who changed it? I will tell you this. I will leave you guys with this. Every time there is a disaster, we have crooks coming out of the woodwork to deceive people who have been impacted by a disaster. We have contractors coming out saying, look, you have to give us a down payment and so that we can buy the supplies. And then once we finish the first part, you can pay us for the second part and then pay us upon completion. Now, it is no different with the church today. Okay? The ecclesia, the body of Christ. We have false teachers in the pulpit trying to rob the people blind and the people are innocent. But here's the thing. This is where you have an obligation. When you hear the truth, you have an obligation to change and follow the truth, not your denomination. You have an obligation to follow God's word, not man's tradition and not man's greed. You will not be blessed if you follow man who is being influenced by the devil. So with that said, look, Merry Christmas. Uh, we are supposed to think about Jesus's birth, his resurrection, his death on the cross every day, not just one day. It's not a bad thing to celebrate Christmas. Man chose this day because none of us know when Jesus was born. Man chose this day to celebrate Jesus. However, true Christians know that we are to celebrate the birth, the death, and resurrection of Jesus every single day. Without the resurrection, there is no salvation. Without the death on the cross, there is no forgiveness of sins. And of course, if the Messiah was never born, we would never have a savior. So with that said, I hope you were blessed by this message. I know that I was. I found out about this message about two or three years ago. And I will tell you this, tithing never set right with me. God was giving me the revelation of scriptures about salvation because we know in part, not every teacher teaches the same thing. They typically focus on the area God has commanded them to focus on. But when I find out that something that hasn't been setting right with me uh, was being taught or is being taught by another minister, it sparks my attention. What I do is research it out to see if they are telling the truth. And by God, Pastor Fred K. Price Jr. is telling the truth. These scriptures been there, play this message for your pastor play this message for your sisters and brothers in Christ who are struggling to tithe. They are not obligated to tithe. And if they want to give a tenth, I tell you this, 
It is not money. But if you want to give a tenth of your money, that's fine, but don't do it out of obligation. That is what this whole message is about. You are not obligated to pay anyone a tenth. If you choose to pay a tenth, you could pay 20% if you want. Pay it with a good heart, pay it with a cheerful heart, and do not pay it out of obligation. So with that said, saints, I will see you next time. Have a blessed and safe weekend. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this particular episode, please send your questions or comments to talkingbibletruth.cd at gmail.com or you can send me a direct message through my podcast by clicking on the message button located on the homepage of all my podcasts. Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcast, and Radio Public to submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing the homepage on my podcast and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your donation. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, and I quote, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. God will give you a return on your gift of love as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. Now until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank each of you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.